Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 360. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. This week's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there... Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Want to trade five days in chilly February to learn and play in Cancun? Join me in Leading Edge Seminars at Innovations in Psychotherapy 2023 in Cancun. Use promo code LAURA to save 10% on five-day CE training workshop fees when you purchase with accommodations at leadingedgecancun.com. You'll gain new skills and earn CEs in the morning, then have fun all afternoon at an all-inclusive luxury resort. Register today for 10% off workshop fees when purchased with accommodations using promo code LAURA at leadingedgecancun.com. I'll see you there. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. Today, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who has been a guest on Therapy Chat in the past, and she's talking about what she's doing now. My guest today is Julia Alexander, LCSW. Julia provides compassionate therapy, education, and consulting services rooted in anti-racist, social justice, and liberatory frameworks. She offers a safe and accepting space to alleviate shame, heal trauma, and discover inner resilience. Julia's approach is founded on an unwavering belief in the healing power of safe connection and a deep knowing that sustained relationship to nature plays a major role in human healing. She specializes in providing eco and equine-assisted psychotherapy in the areas of childhood relationship trauma, coming out, systemic oppression, and shame held by white-bodied people. As a social justice educator, she offers customized consulting, curriculum design, and group facilitation to individuals, teams, and organizations who want to understand their experiences and beliefs in the context of systemic oppression. She combines her expertise as a therapist and social justice educator to offer a unique form of equine-assisted psychotherapy rooted in the ethical inclusion of horses in human treatment. Through this work, she loves supporting people in exploring connection, dialogue, choice, and consent. We had a deep and meaningful conversation about the process of embodying anti-racism as a white-bodied person. And both Julia and I are white, and she explains how she works with a partner agency to ensure that the clients that she's serving, who are white therapists, who are seeking to dismantle their own internalized oppression and racism. Shame was a major factor in the conversation. And I really liked the way that Julia spoke about that very compassionately. I hope that you will enjoy our conversation 
Before we get into listening to my discussion with Julia, I wanted to let you know that Trauma Therapist Network registration is open for group practices. If you're a group practice owner and you have been wanting to support your staff to be part of Trauma Therapist Network, get in touch with me. You can send a message to through the website, www.traumatherapistnetwork.com. Use the support ticket and send a request for a group practice membership, and I will respond and give you the details and the process for setting that up. It's something that people have been asking about for a long time, almost since I started Trauma Therapist Network over a year ago, but I finally got the process set up so that we can do that. The other exciting thing about Trauma Therapist Network that I want to share with you today is that we are open to Canadian members now. We have finally gotten our system organized to be able to accept Canadian applications. So if you are a therapist in Canada, you can now be a part of Trauma Therapist Network, and we sure would love to have you. Canada is the place besides the United States where most Therapy Chat listeners are. So I'm sure many of you who are listening may have been considering joining Trauma Therapist Network and may have even reached out to me and asked, but now it's possible. And that you don't have to send a special message to me, just go to go.traumatherapistnetwork.com slash join and the submission process will take you through whether you are in the United States or Canada entering your information. All right, that's it for now for the updates. And let's get into my conversation with Julia Alexander. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. And today I have a wonderful returning guest. Julia Alexander is back to speak with us again. Julia, thank you so much for being my guest again today on Therapy Chat. You're welcome. I think you already know that I'm so happy to be here and happy to talk with you and see your, your smiling face again. So it's a real pleasure. Thank you. You make me feel good just, just by saying nice things like that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you about what you're doing. The audience doesn't know this, I don't think, but even maybe they do if they heard your first interview, but We've known each other for about six years since we both attended an equine therapy retreat in 2016. And, you know, there was something about you then that really resonated with me. And I've enjoyed watching as you've evolved in your professional life and how you're showing up now. So let's, I'll give you a chance to tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do before we dive into our topic for today. <laughs> okay, let's see. So I am a trauma therapist, a social justice educator, and most recently a consultant. And my, I guess my training is in interpersonal neurobiology, thinking about kind of how we're so deeply connected and relational safety is such an important part of healing that and some other trauma frameworks. And I love doing my work out in nature. So I'm an ecotherapist and I do equine assisted psychotherapy as well. Yeah. So those are the, that's a kind of the therapy part. And then, you know, I have a master's degree in social justice education, and that was kind of my first career before I transitioned to being a therapist. And so I was trained to design really intentional curriculum to help support people having really hard conversations. And my passion is supporting other white people and deepening their healing around racism and whiteness. And that's been kind of in progress over the last 15 years. So I currently collaborate with Colors of Austin Counseling, which is an intentionally diverse counseling practice in Austin, Texas. And we've kind of come up with affinity group model. So I work with white therapists in the area. And there's also an affinity group for black therapists and then non-black POC as well. And I love that work. And I know we're going to be talking more about that. So I'm super excited. I also do consulting around anti-racism work. And my audience is specifically for white people really wanting to 
deepen their impact or feeling those feeling really overwhelmed with shame. So shame is another big part of my stuff. And then I consult for people wanting to bring more social justice into their equine assisted therapy practice. And I've spent a long time figuring out how to say all this without it sounding like (laughs) so big and so much, but the through line has always been, I think, social justice and healing. So with compassion. Yeah. And I think that was what really stood out for me when I met you. I remember when we met, you had your master's in the social justice education and you had, you were in, I think you were in school or had just finished with your MSW. Mm -hmm. And I I think I was slogging through. I was in like the really hard, hard part of it. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I remember I always remember this. I probably said it last time, but I always remember how you really cared about the consent of the horse. And that was what I was really getting pretty triggered by in the, Mm. in the event was wondering if the horse was consenting and wondering how I would be able to tell and what I know and just fearing the harm to the horse. Mm. And, And you were verbalizing that, that idea as well. And I was like, this person is getting what (laughs) something about what she's saying is, is what I need to say or want to understand. So that's such an important part of relational safety, right? Yeah. Is like, you know, knowing what you're agreeing to and that you're giving full agreement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you and I have a good, a good connection in this way because there is a sense that consent is really important. And I bring that into all of my work as a therapist, as a trauma therapist. Like, it's just so important that our clients understand why we're doing what we're doing and they have choice and in, in, in following us down that path or not. And, and I, and I do that with my social justice groups as well. And then I also bring that into the horse piece. It's yeah. Feels so important. Yeah. Because I think with consent, it's, you know, the power dynamics are really an important aspect of it too. And when we're talking about working with animals, obviously we have more power in the relationship than they do. You know, there's just power, control, consent, it all, you know, yeah. And sexual trauma, it all fits together. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an interesting, interesting is the wrong word. It's a visceral dilemma for me because I think with the, with the social justice piece and the focus on whiteness and on white identity development and how I move through the world as a white bodied person and the, the embodied experience of that. I can't help but see the similarities in the power dynamics in our relationship with horses. I mean, there's, we've got like a 10,000 year history of, you know, those dynamics happening with, with horses. I imagine that in terms of non-human animals, their bodies are, you know, (laughs) the most oppressed. And so I think if I can link some of these pieces, my hope is, is that I can get the people that are doing this work to start talking about their own identities and their own stories around oppression. And I'm hoping that that will create, or at least give space for some healing. You know, I I kind of straddle these two worlds that sometimes seem really like separate, which is like the therapy world. Actually it's three, the social justice education world, and then the horse world. And all of these worlds and communities are hurting and, you know, there's, there's all sorts of harm that's been done. And if we're not able to talk about power, then I think that that harm just keeps happening. And so my hope is that I can combine, or my hope is what I've been doing, hopefully successfully, is to combine everything I know about trauma work and embodied healing and interpersonal neurobiology with the anti-racism work and the piece about learning theory that I was taught in intergroup dialogue and then the horse piece and like kind of mush it all together in a way that's really accessible for people that addresses the shame that addresses the perfection that addresses the hurt that we are all experiencing no matter what body we're in but in different ways yeah yeah I I was thinking when you started talking about you know, the way that you mush it all together. I was thinking about how I always equate patriarchy and racism to be very closely connected because to me, patriarchy is about 
concentrating power in one group and all other beings are not human, just objects. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess the way that I was taught was really similar is that we, there's different manifestations of the same system. So you can have like a train with all the different cars of like racism, sexism, homophobia, classism, ableism, all of the different isms overarching system is the same. And so I don't know, I think there's a lot of personal reasons why like my focus was towards whiteness growing up. I think, you know, I lived in like a a community that was very lovely and kind of espoused like this colorblindness and everyone's the same. And I think that really connected with my own internal hurt of like being told something was a one way, but feeling that deep down that wasn't true. And so it was almost like a pathway to my own healing, but I couldn't access my own stuff at the time. So it was like really disconnected. But I think that, you know, when we look at one of those systems, one of those isms, we're essentially starting to piece away the entire thing. And you really can't have one without the other. They all feed on each other. And I don't know if patriarchy exists without racism and vice versa and classism and yeah. Right. As long as any group is other. Right. And not deserving of the same human rights. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of my work focuses on, okay, for white bodied people, we're born into a system. We're born into kind of this racial order that has been so fiercely fought for. There's a lot of brutality in our history. And what does that do then to how do we embody that? Like, how do we move the world what do we were, what gets shut down and turned off and what becomes too much in terms of pain? And like, how do we continue to heal so that we can be sources of justice and love and start to shift the white, white supremacy culture? That's like my, that's my passion. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about like how that concept of fragility as mm-hmm. white people, how the group with the most power, mm-hmm. you know, we're both white women. Mm-hmm. And so closest to the top of the food chain other mm-hmm. than white men. Right. Mm-hmm. But you have all these other identities that give you more or less privilege, but we are, we have the most power, but we feel like victims so much. And I know that, mm. you know, like I would say, you know, the fragility part, like crumbling when someone says that you might have done something that hurt someone else's feelings, not Mm. being able to like tolerate that, Mm. that pain. I'm curious what your thoughts are about the like embodiment of anti-racism and like the parts of ourselves that we oppress. Mm -hmm. I'm -hmm. sure you can speak much more clearly about this than my little scraps of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. You know, I think the nature of these conversations and, you know, we had a really lovely conversation beforehand and, you know, now we're being recorded. And so like that shifts our body. And I think one thing that, that I, you know, know for white people is that, you know, we, we often have a hard time even just getting the words out, right. It's like they get ca- ca- something it's constricting. And so, you know, I have a a view of white fragility and people may disagree with this view and that's okay. But I I view that fragility as in many cases, at least with the white people that I work with as kind of an embodied nervous system response. Now, I think sometimes there can just be resistance and, you know, the person is like, I don't want to talk about this. This is too uncomfortable. But the people that I work with, there is a, a real nervous system shutdown there's either kind of a flight fight or freeze. And so I really want to bring in my understanding of trauma work to support people's nervous systems and building resilience so that it's not so scary, right? And because there's a difference between discomfort and shutdown. And so, and again, I'm really wanting to bring in learning and how do people learn most effectively? How do people change most effectively? I mean, that's my ultimate goal always. It's like, can I shift somebody from here to here? And I know that that doesn't happen in a state of collapse. And so 
I'm really intentional when I do white body groups, especially with the therapist. We have a whole list that we've come up with of language and words. And I'm really careful that if someone is in a, a state of shame, active shame, I don't use the word fragility. I, I don't find it helpful for the nervous system. Once the nervous system has the ability to hold and deal with the shame, then we can address fragility, right? Then we can address accountability. But until then, I see my goal as creating the safest space possible so that somebody's complete authentic self has the possibility of being seen. That means their racism too. And in that space, I am not going to turn away from them, no matter what they say, unless they try to harm me. <laughs> I'm going to create that container, right? And that relational safety gives people, I believe, the ability to sit with themselves and to hold the pain that they feel in a really, in a different way, right? In a more constructive way. And so I know that might be different than other social justice educators out there. And I think that that's totally fine. But for me and just what I've seen effective, the nervous system response to shame is the first piece that I'm wanting to address. Yeah. I mean, that resonates with me so much. I mean, I feel like it's like the fear of being bad, which if you are fearing being bad to me, that's like shame right there because, yeah. you know, no one's bad. Mm -hmm. But although we have such a punitive culture and right. such a violent culture, I think <laughs> so that it's like the fear of discovering that you hurt someone or seeing something about yourself that you won't like some a way that you know i didn't and i a part of your self that's an identity you don't want to have yeah can stop people from even starting the process of working on this and that's really yes. unfortunate yeah yeah it is and you know it it makes sense i think i've had to work really hard over the last 15 years a lot of therapy to lovingly accept all of the parts of myself, including the parts that are racist, including the parts that act act out, you know, my whiteness. Only by doing that could I, I think, hold genuine space for those experiences. Because when we feel like we're bad, this change is just, it's like, okay, well, what's the point, right? If, if I'm going to be exposed in that way. And so what I share with my group, one is a lot of the mistakes that I've made and will probably continue to make as a white woman doing this work. And to the process of being with the, I think a lot of times we are so accustomed of shutting ourselves off from the pain of being in a system that actively harms others that, yeah, our nervous system sometimes can't handle it. It's like, oh my God. So there is a piece of not running from ourselves that yes. we need to learn how to do. And I think that learning, because I am a relational therapist and I'm a trauma therapist and my trainees interpersonal neurobiology, that's my lens. So I'm just like, yeah, we need community to develop the tools to sit with the embodied experience of the pain of racism. I, I, and I just don't think it's possible to do it alone. And I also don't think it's possible to do it without some relational safety because that feeling of I'm bad is going to hijack the process of healing. Shame is such a antithetical experience to healing and safety and change and even accountability. And that's what I talk a lot about in my groups is that, you know, toxic shame and accountability just, they can't exist at the same time. And so I know there's a lot of, there's so much messaging out there and I have had the incredibly painful experience over the last 15 years of also being in a place where I'm just like, well, I'm bad. There's just no, there's no way around it. <laughs> but the reality is, is that we're, we can't deal in good and bad when it comes to this. It's just not, it's the wrong, what's the right, what's the right word for that? It's like the, it's the wrong lens. It's like the wrong rubric. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We need to throw that out. And I think, you know create creating loving safe kind community i believe is such a radical act of resistance against white against white supremacy culture 
And a lot of the people in my groups, you know, will come in, we do all the guidelines and, you know, what's your experience been before, you know, a lot of their experience with other white people has been really bad, right? It's been really scary. They've been shamed. You know, their whole nervous system is up here ready to defend. Bonnie Badenoch, who I trained with for a year, has a really lovely quote. And it always sticks with me, especially when I get activated, you know, and it's it talks about how the wisdom of our bodies will kind of neuro receive safety and the wisdom of our healing path will also neuro receive threat. And when that threat is perceived, it will wisely stay hidden until more favorable conditions arrive for us to heal. And so my goal is to create kind of the most effective spaces to do that healing. Does that make sense? I don't know if I can ramble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you have to create the fertile ground for the healing to occur. And if it, the ground is not fertile, the seeds are just going to lay dormant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it also takes trust. You know, it's like, are you going to share with me the, the most shameful thoughts that you have had in order to let those thoughts and body experiences ventilate? Can we develop enough self-compassion to hold, to really look at ourselves because otherwise we're running from ourselves. We're turning away from all of the parts. And you mentioned this earlier, all of the parts of us that we just wish weren't there or identities we wish we didn't have. And that's the opposite of accountability. And so the other piece is the self-compassion and the shame resilience. It's like self-compassion is like badass work. <laughs> like it requires you to sit in your own stuff, all of the ugliest parts of who you are and the things that you hate about yourself and to look at them in the eye and say, okay, here we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And to not run. Right. Then that's when we need people to lean on. Right. That's when we need people around us to say, you're still okay. Right? I'm here for you. Yeah. Running a group private practice has been a challenging and rewarding experience, and one thing that has made it so much easier is Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. If you're coming from another EHR, like I did, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. My team has found Therapy Notes very easy to learn, it's intuitive, the customer support is second to none. And that's one of the things that has kept me a Therapy Notes customer for several years now. Anytime I've needed to contact Therapy Notes for help with an issue I couldn't figure out on my own, I've been able to get through to someone and resolve the issue within 15 minutes, 99% of the time. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. Try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes or enter the promo code chat at TherapyNotes.com. Thank you to Leading Edge Seminars for sponsoring this week's episode. If you're ready to get away this winter to learn and play in sunny Cancun, use promo code Laura for 10% off any five-day in-person CE training workshop fee when you purchase with accommodations at leadingedgecancun.com. At this unique learning and vacation experience in Cancun, you'll gain new skills and tools while earning CEs in the morning, then have afternoons at leisure at an all-inclusive luxury resort. Imagine this, morning coffee on your private balcony, breakfast overlooking the ocean, training until lunch with one of today's leading clinicians, including several therapy chat past guests, then fun all afternoon in a beautiful tropical paradise. Sounds good, right? I'll be there. Learn more at leadingedgecancun.com and register today for 10% off workshop fees when purchased with accommodations using promo code Laura. So you were saying that a lot of the people who are in your groups who are white are have had negative experiences with other white people around racist, anti-racism work, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how... How, I don't know if you can answer this easily or not, but how do you create that safety in mm. these groups? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I'll, I'll kind of take the question and step back first. I can give some context. I think 
as white people, and I can speak for myself in this context, there's been so many times where I felt such an intense sense of urgency, urgency to run from my pain and to declare myself good, <laughs> that I end up harming people around me, and whether that's people of color or other white people that, you know, and, and so we want to recognize that when the nervous system is in that space, that we can easily do harm. And so part of the process of creating safety is slowing down, is taking that sense of urgency and saying, let's just be quiet with ourselves, or at least develop some more capacity to notice what's happening on our body. Like when you feel that urge to tell that white person in the group or on Facebook or whatever, that, you know, maybe something they said didn't land right, or you felt like it was racist. Can you pause before that happens and notice what's happening in your body? What are the experiences and is shame present? Are you acting from a place of shame? Is the response more about you proving that you are good <laughs> rather than tending to the pain that you're experiencing? And so we have guidelines that we, I come in and these guidelines that were created by all of the affinity group leads at Colors of Austin. So we've all agreed on them. And so I come in and share that. And then I allow people to then add their own. And we talk about what we're afraid of. And, you know, all of that is set into place as a foundation, but I mean, as you know, as a, as a trauma therapist, the only true way, once you have that foundation to build relational safety is time, is mm -hmm. repeated disconfirming experiences that the more vulnerable you are, that that's going to continue to be accepted with open arms, that you can feel uncomfortable in your body and that the people in this group and space are going to be there with you in that discomfort because they're probably feeling it too, <laughs> including me. And so it's a process of unfolding, right? Just like, you know, this is not a therapy group, but there's so many pieces. I mean, talking about healing, you know, internalized racism is, I think, in a lot of ways, trauma work. Yeah. And, and so, you know, yeah. So recognizing that slowing down, I, ha I was in a, like a radical business meeting group or workshop at some point, And the woman who was leading it said, you know, be, pay attention to, like having a hot potato in your hands and giving it to somebody else. And I loved that because it was such a visceral like image of what happens. It's like, we want to hand our pain off mm -hmm. instead of developing the capacity to, to hold it. And so, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. And that really aligns with what was coming up for me as you were talking when that like, I don't like how I feel. So I need something to happen to make it change. Right. And what's the process that I'm doing to achieve that? You know, mm. am I turning away from something that I should be turning toward? Am I seeking mm. reassurance from someone else to make myself feel better and pretending mm. the thing didn't happen? Mm. Or, you know, yeah. it's, it's confusing. It's very confusing. It is confusing. And I think my sense, and this is my most compassionate take, is that every single white person that I've worked with deeply wants to understand, deeply wants to do the work and wants to be, you know, good, right? And when we take out that good thing, we have a lot more freedom. You know, nobody's all good or all bad. That's such a, a, a myth, you know? So when we have the, the, the freedom to experience ourselves as making, you know, harmful choices or not making harmful choices or running from our discomfort or being with our discomfort, you know, it's like every moment we have a choice, we have a choice to stay with the experience in our body. And then, you know, part of my work, personally speaking, and, you know, this is a vulnerable share is that I've had to really come to terms with when I need to step back. You know, there are some days where I, I, I told you before I, I had to take my propranolol because I have a really sensitive nervous system. And so there might be times when I, I just simply can't handle one more thing. I felt a lot of shame about that for a long time. But I realized by honoring what I need and taking the time away that I need, if that's what it looks like, or, you know, doing some meditation or going for a run or checking in with a friend and cultivating joy, basically, 
I am much more able to be in the work than if I didn't honor that experience. And those are, those are boundaries that keep me from becoming burnt out, basically. Everybody hear that. <laughs> I don't always do a good job with them, though. It's so, you know, I said it's confusing, but I think, you know, what feels confusing to me is that I don't want to beat myself up for getting it wrong, mm. but I don't want to give myself a, a pass mm. and to just be like, oh, I'll think about that later. I'll deal with that later or probably wasn't that bad or whatever. You know, if I'm thinking about holding myself accountable for any kind of harm that I've caused to another person, whether it's related to racism or anything, because we all do harm, right? Of course. And yeah. we all are harmed and you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just that idea of like holding myself accountable but not thinking that I'm bad it's like you know I think in situations I guess where I have a lot of shame the my window of tolerance is very narrow <laughs> so yeah and it makes so much sense everything we know about trauma and healing and, and all of the research on shame, yes, we, and we all have shame triggers and like, you know, your shame trigger, my shame trigger. I know my shame triggers being perceived as racist. Like if somebody thinks or says something or there's, it doesn't have to be overt. It can be so subtle. And I, and that all of my body is activated and I'm like, oh my gosh, now I'm in this shame spiral. And the only way out of that is to try to prove, mm -hmm. right. And perform, which is not authentic or to hide and avoid. And, and then the other outcome could be being angry, right. Or you defensive. Know, yeah, exactly. And, and going towards. And so, you know, the, I know I'm, I keep talking about self-compassion, but it's been such a life changer for me that if we can hold ourselves with love and tenderness around the very things that hurt so badly. So I said something, it really hurt somebody that's so deeply painful to know. And, and if I can meet that pain and care for it, right. Look at it, <laughs> notice what it feels like in my body, tend to it. There's no room for beating myself up about it. All of my space and energy is, is there to take care of that internal experience. So then I can go back around to this person and say, I am so sorry that this happened. How can we repair? What would that look like for you? That is so much easier said than done. <laughs> Just like, it is so hard. I really believe that, that self-compassion is trauma work at its core, right? Like we weren't, I don't think many of us were taught to like take that pain and give it love and take all the parts of ourselves that we don't like or despise and give them love and yeah. But it's, it, I think it's really powerful work and it allows us to show up way more vulnerable, way more courageous and, and way more authentic. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like you said, one trigger may be being racist. And that is definitely a trigger for me because mm -hmm. I care about not being racist. So I don't want to be perceived as racist, but I also mm -hmm. know I'm white and I'm mm -hmm. living in this body and this culture. Right. And, but any feeling of harming another person, you know, yeah. it's like it, you know, feels so against who I want who to be. Yeah. yeah. Who yeah. I am, who I, my, what my values are, mm -hmm. but mm. not a lot of practice with those really hard reparative conversations. Yeah. And I think, you know, the nature of white supremacy culture is at least in my experience with white people to really want to avoid conflict, right? Conflict is bad yeah. and conflict is actually, at least if, if we're in relationship, allows us to deepen yeah. our relationship. You said something just now that really struck a chord with me. The, this is why I really love affinity groups. I think, you know, my experience has been that sometimes when we combine groups or from mixed company like that, the tears, white people tears can actually be really harmful. Yeah. Right. It's like, you know, I want harm reduction. Right. And so can we create spaces where we can practice conflict and repair safely, mm -hmm. where we can practice grieving, right. As we notice the tears well up in our eyes, we can be with that 
or we can just start sobbing. You know, I think that we have to stay connected to our humanity in that way. It is so essential. And I have just lovely therapists in my group who feel self-conscious about crying, right? Who are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm crying. And, you know, my, my words to them are like, no, this is so important. How can you not cry? right? How can you not cry when you look at what's happening in our society, right? How can you not cry when you understand the impact of racism, right? And so we have to have spaces to kind of reclaim what's what's been disconnected. That's what got jogged in my head. Yeah. And that's what, you know, feels so, I don't know, I don't know enough about his work and I want to learn more about Resma Menekum's work. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that I've seen him talk about is sort of like dissociating from the harm that we do and the ancestral harm as white people and how, you know, that's like what we don't want to see, but it's still driving behavior. So it's like welcoming home the parts that you're so like, it makes sense. You're so ashamed of those feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Welcoming home. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Welcoming yourself home to your body, to your experience and to, there can be pain. I think there can be pain and there can be deep grief without shame. And that's, you know, a really big part of the group or that when we feel the shame, we say, oh, right. I'm, I'm in a shame spiral right now. And so we practice the four steps of shame resilience in that moment so that we can get deeper because honestly shame will also take us out of the feeling of grief. Right. And so Resma's work has been so influential for me. I think that his work gave me permission that I needed to actually slow down and focus on what was happening in my body. And his writing has also given me some language to express things that I'd been observing for a really long time, especially in the horse world. He has this really powerful quote, basically says, one of the things we know about trauma is that trauma that has become decontextualized over time can look a lot like culture. And I hold on to that idea because so much of the abuse that we see normalized in the horse industry has, I think, a lot to do with inherited trauma of domination and oppression. And that's from an unhealed human history that has been decontextualized over a long period of time. So yeah, his work has helped me not only return to my body, but express things that felt a little bit amorphous before I read his book. So if you haven't read My Grandmother's Hands, that's such a wonderful place to start. I think the other reason why I hold this quote so close is because there's an acknowledgement that regardless of what body we're in, the experience of racism is traumatic. And it's traumatic for all bodies, even if we experience that trauma differently. And that feels really important to name that when we are born into a system and into a body that requires us to dehumanize others, There is a part, I think, of our personhood that gets taken or shut down or shut off or disconnected being a part of that system. And so I think that that his words help me to remember that coming back to ourselves is a part is a part of healing and not to minimize that experience. Another way that Resma's work has really inspired me is an idea that I found in his writing about white people needing to create new culture, one that's kind and loving and inclusive, so that other white people feel like they have a place to belong. And I hold that really dear when I run my affinity groups, that these groups and the work that the people in the groups are doing to unearth what's real for them will always be met with compassion and kindness and and hopefully a sense of belonging. I do my best to help help people feel that way. But I think when we do this, and I know I said this before, we we challenge white supremacy culture in real time when we can relate to each other in this way, rather than it being a competition about who knows more or a game around shaming. 
I think that we do need a different culture. And my hope is that just in these small spaces with, you know, a few therapists, there can be a ripple effect where the people in these groups have been met with kindness and non-judgment and will be able to increase their resiliency in holding their own pain around racism. And therefore, they're able to provide that to others, whether it's their white clients or their clients of color or their family or their friends. And so I'm, I feel deeply indebted to that idea of, of Resma's about culture shift you know, culture shift in real time. Yeah. Well, I will say, I think, I think that concept I understand from his work and what I understand from his work that I'm continuing to learn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But thank you for naming that grief and shame aren't the same too. Mm -mm. Yeah, definitely not. I, I don't find, there may be examples of this, but I haven't found in my work over the last 15 years that shame is really helpful in any particular way, other than to let us know what our shame triggers are, right? If we have an idea of what those triggers are, we can prepare and care for ourselves in that way. But yeah, we have to, I, I really truly believe and, and hope that I can embody a tenderness with all of these parts of ourselves, the parts of us that are hurting the parts of us that are disconnected or dissociated, the parts of us that long to be able to be perfect, even though that concept doesn't exist and is directly tied to shame, but just an openness, right? An openness to whatever evolves in these groups that there is no more hiding <laughs> from yourself. And there's not a, what if I'm exposed? Because there's an understanding that we all have racism. We're not just, why try to hide that? This you're, isn't a dirty secret. You're preventing your healing. You know, it's the same with trauma, you know, work. Once we are able to kind of even honor the story of our body, whether we, even if we don't have the memory, right? The explicit memory of the trauma, we can make it part of our, our story without, we don't have to orphan it anymore. And I think that integration is so mm -hmm. huge to healing work. Yeah. And, you know, that reminds me of something you said when we were, before we were recording, you talked about like, when it really comes down to it, we all want one thing. Mm. We want to be loved. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it was such a powerful moment in a group that I had the other week where we talked about that fear. What if, what if you say something that's harmful? What if you say something that exposes your lack of knowledge, exposes maybe your collusion in the system, right? Exposes a belief that feels really harmful to somebody else. And the underlying deep fear was abandonment right? Abandonment, you know, and I think that's such a visceral fear, right? It's, it's a very young fear, right? Being abandoned. And it makes so much sense because we have a legacy in this culture of defending racism with violence and death and ostracizing people, you know? And so us and them is big here, really big. And so you know, I think for a very long period of time, maybe even now, you know, we can go against the current kind of way that racism works. And if you are a white person, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, and you didn't follow those rules, you'd be killed, right? Or your community would not talk to you. And so I think it's just really important to acknowledge the history, right? The embodied history that we're carrying, and, and recognize that that's some of the deep wounding. And I want to acknowledge that wounding as a therapist. I want to acknowledge it just as a human that cares, you know what I mean? Like, and I want, to, I want to see that wounding in you or, you know, whoever I'm working with so that I can hold that and say, hey, actually, it would, it would have to be pretty egregious for me to say, like, I, I can't work with you anymore. You know, if most of the people that I work with really are earnest and kind and want to do this work. And so the experience of feeling like you're not going to be abandoned gives you freedom, I think, to explore the really shadowy places that we don't want to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. It's that shadow. Yeah. We're so scared of the shadows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think it's inevitably way more painful and 
an extraordinarily more amount of energy to run from those places than to start to settle and look at them. Well, Julia, I'm so grateful that you're doing this work and that you took the time to come back to Therapy Chat today and talk about it. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was so nice to chat with you both during this conversation and checking in before too. It was really nice. Oh, thank you. It was nice for me too. So let me just clarify. Your mm -hmm. affinity groups that you hold are for therapists, white therapists? White therapists, yep. I did put out a white affinity group for leaders in the equine industry. This was like last June. No, this June, I just didn't get enough interest. So if anyone's listening out there and they're a horse person and they're white and they want to do that work, you can get in touch with me. Awesome. And how can people find you? My website, they can go to juliaalexandercounseling.com. Hopefully my new website will be up soon, but for now it's been in the works for a while. And then I am begrudgingly on social media. Talk about nervous system activation. My body does not like social media. So really had to try to figure out that dance, but I am at Instagram, Julia Alexander underscore LCSW and the same thing with Facebook, but my website and my email is the best way to get in touch with me. Okay. Do you want to give your email too? Oh yeah. It's Julia at JuliaAlexanderCounseling.com. Got it. Julia, thank you so much for coming back to Therapy Chat and really for what you're doing. It's, it's valuable. It's needed. And I think there are, there cannot be too many different ways to do this work because it's, the need is so great. Yeah, I totally agree. And you're welcome. I think we, it would be great if everyone was doing this work in some capacity or another. That'd be lovely. It was such a pleasure to talk with you and to talk about the stuff that I'm doing and just to share space and time with you. So thank you. Thank you to Therapy Notes for sponsoring this week's episode. I do love Therapy Notes. It's such an asset to my business and makes my job as a practice owner and a therapist much easier. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Thank you to Leading Edge Seminars for sponsoring this week's episode. If you're ready to get away this winter to learn and play in sunny Cancun, use promo code LAURA for 10% off any five-day in-person CE training workshop fee when you purchase with accommodations at leadingedgecancun.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Thank <laughs> you.